I'll just move on. <laughs> Who's this guy, William Chuke? With the exception of Darren, who I'm sure has heard of him, because we talked about him earlier. Who was William Chuke? No? Okay. William Chuke was a Quaker, going back a while. Uh, 18th century, I think, that the asylums made a great deal of money from paying guests, really, paying visitors who would come and, and laugh at the inmates. And if you didn't perform, if you didn't put on a good show, they didn't feed you. William Troop was incensed. I'm sure you can understand why. So he decided to do something about it. Um, he went to York and he founded the York Retreat. Anyone heard of that? The York Retreat. Still going. Slightly different now, but it's still going. The York Retreat was founded on moral treatment. And moral treatment was very similar to what we were talking about earlier, I think. It was where you bring people into, it was a farm. It was a, a big, there's the big house. It was on its own farmland near York. And people went there and they were given good food, clean linen. They were looked after. They had access to the amenities of the time. And in return for that, they worked. They worked on the farm. So they had a role. They had a job. They had something to get up for in the morning, and they were part of the community. Now, I have no idea what William Chuke's recovery rates were, because it's impossible to take records from that time and compare them with any sense of accuracy to records from this time. But we do know that it was significantly greater than what we have now. I honestly can't tell you what. I've heard anything from... 90%, which is comparable to the, the modern ISOS study for the best of, of the ISOS, to 40, 50%. I've no idea. But it's certainly going to be higher than 33. With no medication, with none of this all singing, all dancing stuff that, that people like me like to pretend we're really good at and, and, you know, pretend is important. It's simply getting into the world and getting a valued place in the world and focusing on something other than how bad you feel. Does that make sense? Any questions, comments, or challenges so far? Okay. <laughs> All right. How would you feel then if we all just took that view? If everybody in our society said, right, okay, mental illness, pa, who cares. What we're going to do instead is we're going to give everybody a job and that will all be fine. Would that work? It probably wouldn't, you're quite right. But my question for you is why not? Why wouldn't it work? Because it works in the smaller scale and it works in other countries. Why wouldn't it work here? They have different ones. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you, absolutely. I think that it's an oversimplification to just leave what I've just said where it is and say, so all we do is give everybody a job and we're happy. So we Yeah. 
that we have a wider culture to deal with here. And our culture still equates mental disorder with axe-wielded murderer, for example. Um, and it's going to take more than good intentions to beat that one. So I think you're absolutely right, those of you that are bringing up those issues. Yeah. With, with I believe so. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say that it will because we haven't really tried it other than in small scale. And as you quite rightly say, the small scale is one thing. A larger scale will probably give us different results. But I personally, yes, I believe so. I think a huge part of, um, of mental health care, if you like, is getting people out of the mental health system and into the real world. Um, I was up in the night, very concerned, and 
that we were open to see, you know, if it was okay. And one night I actually heard a noise and I felt him in his room shuffling around and he was having um, what appeared to be a very subtle kind of seizure. Mm-hmm. And it was through this seizure, you know, I got into the doctors and all these people, but for years, I'm talking about years, we've been looking down the, the roots of you know, what's caused the depression, me as a mother blame myself, not to good enough, yeah. what you do, and looking into lots of areas as to why we have this mental health problem. And through the seizure, it turned out that he, he, he then went to have a scan. The first time somebody thought that perhaps, you know, we better have something physical. And what we found is that he had a tumour that's very the size of apple. It was absolutely rock solid. It had been there apparently since he was about 12 years old. And it had absolutely squashed that side of the right. brain so much that that side of the brain wasn't functioning at all. Yeah. And that emotional side mm-hmm. was what was causing problems that yeah. Makes sense. And he went into hospital and had this huge operation, had the tumour removed, and there's no longer depression. And there was lots of other things because he squashed yeah. a lot of this early adult life. Yes. But that was another, for me, it was a real eye-opener because, you know, there are lots of reasons why people might have mental health. Many, yeah. And it may be, you know, we, we, we have all kinds of ideas and make such assumptions. Yes. You know, and for all of those years, nobody once thought perhaps there's a physiological problem. Yeah. And if we hadn't had that seizure, we may still be in the same situation now. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. I don't that, think was, that was a real eye-opener to me. It made right. me think a lot because like, my background was in therapeutic childcare and right. early trauma and the impact of, you know, that kind of, um, um, those experiences on one's mental health and functioning. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, it was a really big eye-opener to actually think that you know, it wasn't any, anything to do with any of those things. Mm. It was actually physiological. Yeah, I don't it think makes me, it makes me wonder how many other people are out there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I really don't think you've thrown a spanner in the works at all. I think you've, yeah. you've raised a, a very valid point. It's something we'll come on to. Yeah. I'm going to talk shortly about a thing called the stress and vulnerability model of mental health and disorder. And that sort of physical stuff is up there along with all of the other factors. As the, the lady there, sorry, I don't know any names, but the lady there said there are social factors. There's all sorts. But that's certainly part of it, and I think that's why I say it's an oversimplification to think give everybody a job and they'll be all right. Because I think there are many more factors than that. Going back to to answer your point, um, Ronnie Lang came up with the idea of the schizophrenogenic mother, which was basically blaming the the mother for creating... Have you heard of the, the idea of the double bind? That mothers create double binds, which means that their children can't do right for doing wrong, whatever they do they're going to be wrong, so in order to retreat from this bizarre situation that they've got where nothing ever works, they retreat inside their head and form this delusional psychotic world uh, and people have described it as a sane response to an insane world and and stuff like that Um, most of it's rubbish to be honest, most of what Ronnie Lang said uh, has been very soundly discredited, particularly the idea of the schizophrenogenic mother. But there's a problem. When he first said it in the 1960s, the news of the world put it on the front page. When he got struck off 
for publicizing all of this rubbish, nobody mentioned it. So people in, in, the, in the culture still think, oh, it must be my fault. Or people get worried that it's their bad genes and stuff, and all of this stuff. What? of any type do not develop them because their mother looked at them funny. Now having said that, there are some who very definitely do develop disorders because of the way they've been treated, but we can't say that about the majority. What we can say is, and what we will say, I want to talk about high expressed emotion as I said, what we can say is that people who live with people with mental disorders maybe need to be a bit more careful about their responses than the rest of us. And it's not about saying, this person caused your disorder. It may be, maybe it's more about saying, your relative has a disorder. Your responses really ought to be somewhat better than Mrs. Jones's. Mrs. Jones may criticize all she likes, but you know, it's that walk in your moccasins sort of thing. So one thing I want to be clear of when we touch on this, and we'll touch on it more, uh, later on. One thing I want to be really clear about is work around high expressed emotion is not, is definitely not, an excuse to blame families. But it is a way to demonstrate to families that sometimes what works in other families will not work in yours because you've got this extra thing to think about. Does that make sense? Which I like to think of as the balance. But it's certainly not about blaming people. Throwing guilt never helps. No, neither a guilt thrower nor a guilt catcher to misquote Shakespeare. Um, any other questions, comments or challenges before I move on a bit? We are going to have a break just very quickly in case anybody needs a loo in, in about five minutes. Sorry, I should be politically correct and call it a comfort break, shouldn't I? Uh, but we are going to have a break in five or ten minutes because I think an hour and three quarters of me wittering at you would become dead by PowerPoint unless you get the chance to at least stretch your legs. For now though, let me just go on a little bit more. These are basically, I think, the main issues, if you like, or the main theories about what is mental disorder. We have one, top left, the biomedical model. That's why people get given medication. Medications affect body chemistry. If it's not an issue with body chemistry, what are we doing with medication? So the biomedical model the thing that the medical person, the doctor comes from, the psychiatrist comes from, is an assumption that this is to do with a problem in the body that needs to be fixed. And when I say body, I include brain chemistry and all of that, but it's fix this by tweaking chemistry. Does that make sense? Yeah? This is in its purest form. <coughs> then we have the, the trauma model. That's a picture of um, some guy in, in Afghanistan who's not having a good day. And if you look at one of, the, one of my favorite illustrations of this, isn't particularly modern, it's First World War. Let me very quickly tell you the First World War experience. Wonderful this, from our perspective. It must have been horrible to be there. 
But in the First World War, we had, you know, there's the, the trench warfare basically all along the line of the Somme, or the, you know, that area um, of France, and we've got the Germans on one side, and we've got the Allies on the other, the English and the French, or the British and the French, I should say, on the other. The Germans had pretty much got as much as, they, I mean, they were happy with what they've got to a large extent. There would have been, it would have been nice if they could have advanced and taken more of France, but they were actually quite happy with the part of France that they'd got at the time. So their trenches were actually really solid structures. They had bunkers made out of concrete with grand pianos and things in. They were really, really secure. It's perfectly true. There was, there was, you know, there's a place in, in France near Verdun, um, which is one of the big fortresses in the First World War, big French fortress. Uh, and if you look at the German bunkers, because they're preserved um, <coughs> around Verdun, you can actually still see the wine cabinet, for example, in the officers' mess, underground in big concrete structures. The other side, the other trenches, were sandbags and duckboards. Where would you feel safest? Which side do you want to be on? You want to be on the German side, don't you? You heard of shell shock? Yeah. You know what shell shock was? Well, that's what caused it. Yeah. It was caused by stress. But what was it? What were the symptoms of shell shock? You fall into three basic groups. Was it manic behaviour? Well, you could certainly get that. One of the groups is what we would call today psychosis, which will include mania, mood disorders, but also hallucinations, delusions, and thought disorders. We'll go through those later so you know what I mean by that. Another was bog standard, what we would currently call post-traumatic stress disorder and all of the symptoms of that, with the flashbacks and all of that stuff. And the third part of it, uh, the third type of symptoms, was a very strange neurological state, and we still don't know quite what it was about now. But you may have seen there was some interesting footage taken at Craig Lockhart Hospital in Edinburgh, which was one of the, the shell shock hospitals. And there's footage of this one guy trying to walk up a corridor, just like this. And, and there's no physical reason that anybody could find, but he couldn't control his limbs. They're the three elements of shell shock. They're not biological disorders in the first instance. These aren't people who would be taken out of the asylum and put on the front line. These were people who, as far as the war office of the day was concerned, were physically and mentally healthy. But you put them in that environment, guess which side had most shell shock? The Allies. Germans had some, but the more vulnerable you feel, and the more stressful your environment, the more likely you are to develop these symptoms. People in prison. There's been some stuff in the news about mental disorder in prisons and how many mentally disordered offenders there are. And I'm sure that there are a number of people who commit offences because of a response to their mental disorder or because they just happen to have a mental disorder as well, because not every offence is caused by a mental disorder. But I also think there are probably people who were not mentally disordered until they went into prison. And I think that's a question that sometimes we need to ask as well. It's the role of environment. And if you lose your, your control over yourself, if everything is controlled by somebody else, what will that do to your mental state? And then we have this one which is rather interesting. It's a variant on the medical model. It's the genetic type stuff. Um, this bit of the brain here, these are called the ventricles. They are the holes in the brain. 
see that figure? The hole in the brain there is bigger with the person who's got the diagnosis of schizophrenia as compared to his twin, who has smaller ventricles. And for a long time we would say, yes, that's to do with the effect of the disorder known as schizophrenia. You heard that one before? There's some reasonable evidence to say that might be true, but there's another really interesting piece of evidence. Antipsychotic medications enlarge the ventricles in the brain. So it may be that actually these people have only got enlarged ventricles because we give them the diagnosis and then throw the tablets at them. We need to do a bit more work. And that's one of the fundamental points I want to make before we say, let's have 10 minutes, because I'm sure people will be ready for that by now. One of the fundamental points that I want to make is in psychiatry today, we do not know anything like as much as we think we do. The science on the whole behind mental disorders is pretty poor. And that's not necessarily because the science couldn't be done better. It's just because it isn't done better. But I want to make one more point. Not proven, like that thing about the, uh, the ventricles in the brain, for example, it's not proven. That doesn't mean it's not true. But it does mean that we can't say we know it yet. We don't know very much. Before we have a very quick break, and I really am going to ask you to be quick, just you know, 10 minutes tops, can I ask are there any questions, comments or challenges so far?